It is Tour Live, Neil Atkinson with Gareth Roberts, Lizzie Doyle and Rob Gutman to talk about uh, Portuguese adventures, not just Rob's, but uh, Liverpool <sighs> Football Clubs as well. Uh, and to look ahead to this one against Manchester City. But in the minutes leading up to this, there is breaking news. How exciting. Breaking news from a Liverpool point of view. Uh, Rob Gutman, presenter of the Anfield Raps Gutter Show. Uh, Liverpool have reached a £7 million deal with, with, with Fulham for Fabio Carvalho. Have they, Rob? You tell me through it. Well, Neil, from what I understand by having read Fabrizio Let's Go Romano's Twitter just moments ago, um, Liverpool have agreed a five million fee for uh, Fabio Carvalho with, I think, about 1.8 million's worth of add-ons. Marvellous. Fabrizio Let's Go Romano is also saying that there are no plans to loan him back to Fulham or any other fucker. I'm quoting here. And um, <laughs> he's expecting to join in Liverpool's preseason training. And he's been to see Jurg, visited Jurgen Klopp, and Liverpool and, and Fulham are very happy with each other, as is Carvalho. And I thought when I heard this news that we could have a new song because he's also Portuguese. Uh, we could sing something about him being better than Diogo, don't you know? His name is Fabio Carvalho. There's lots of O's, but it's going to work somehow, this, this song. Uh, it, it, is, it is. It'll be a nightmare for the Whittle contingent, but they'll work it out. Uh, Gareth, you. there is a... Um, there is... Ultimately, I mean, this is Liverpool's first sign of the summer. As daft as it is to say, this lad's been getting a lot of game time uh, in the championship. He's part of a side that's about to win the championship, it looks to me, uh, from a distance. They're going to get promoted for them. I'd be really surprised if they don't. Liverpool, the lad is out of contract in the summer. It would have gone to a, it would have gone to a tribunal. It might have been more. It might have been less than a tribunal. It would certainly be more if his contract wasn't up this summer. It's, it's the first. It's another part. Sorry, not the first part. It's another part of Liverpool demonstrating their ongoing renovation program of the front three. I think. Yeah, definitely. And also, it's a demonstration that you know the, the they're being clever in the transfer market, and they're also good at it because um, there, there are plenty of other clubs list, listed listed as being interested in him. Um, he's only 19 years old and he's performed well at the top end of the championship, which we all know is traditionally difficult, I would say, for for, for your flair player. Yeah. Because um, it is a little bit sort of industrial at times. But um, yeah, he's, he, you know, he's been playing a lot, 31 appearances, uh, eight goals, seven assists. So, you know, that's all good for a 19-year-old lad, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and, and look, it's probably going to be one of those where I think, um, you know, unlike... Um, Mr. Diaz, who we're, we're going to come on to talk about, no doubt. It probably will be back to the old school way, I would guess, of, you know, you don't see him once he's hands up for Liverpool. He, he, he has to find the the Jurgen Klopp way and he'll be on the bench maybe. And, you know, he's not going to be he's not going to be displacing anyone, I wouldn't think, from day one. But, it, but nevertheless, it's exciting. And it's also good as well, I think, to be, like, reading stuff like this, like, now. Because, like... No, no matter what Liverpool do, someone somewhere always seems to get a cob on that we're not buying someone. So we are. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, is right, Lizzie. That it's, it is. You know, it was it was meant to happen back in January. It is worth bearing that in mind. So it, it's not. You know, it's not coming from left field. This by any stretch of the imagination. But Liverpool's wholehearted commitment to it, I think, has come from minor sort of left field in January from nowhere he was linked a lot with West Ham there was other bits and pieces going on all of a sudden Liverpool may clearly want him they all but secure him they've secured him now he does appear to be you know to have been an interesting uh, an integral one that Liverpool wanted and from there now they've, they've, they've secured him and they'll be using him in the summer yeah, I think um, I'm quite shocked that they've got it over the line now, to be honest. I was wondering whether there'd be some sort of other teams coming in, obviously, with the fact that we didn't get, out, get it over the line. And I know there was a lot of talk saying, oh, we will come, and he, and he really wants to uh, come to Liverpool and stuff. like. But you never know what can happen. You never know, especially that earlier on um, in the season and so far away from the summer transfer window. But again... It's just looking like good business. And if whoever's been doing this business, let's hope it's Julian Ward. And this is him, you know, staking his claim nice and early, saying he's going to get things done early, quite handy, following in Edwards' shoes. But listen, I'm happy with it. Um, I mean, one of my questions is, and I think someone's just asked it on the chat, is is more like, what do we do with him at, at that age? Like, what does he come straight in and does he go straight into the side? Or is this one where we get him in and we, we put him out on loan? But I tell you what, we cross that bridge when we come to it. He looks like, looks like a, great, a great little prospect. Hey. What the question, Rob? I think is firstly what will happen to him if if we're saying he's not going to be loaned out next season. Then you know, perfectly reasonable. For me, it's where where do Liverpool envisage him playing? Do they see him as a front three option or as a midfield option? I think it's difficult, you know, to go beyond that. Whether it would be central or off a flank in a front three sense, 
or whether or not Liverpool see him, you know, as I say before, as, as someone who can come through and, and, and play from a little bit deeper. What what do you expect? It, I don't know, you know, we did, we did a lot of research and we had a lot of conversations about him in the towards the end of the window. I remember we spoke to a Fulham guy who said he play, in a, in in a 4231 he played behind the striker. So is he a 10? Is he a there was some talk whether he might be, you know, a very attacking 8, but he can clearly come in off the flanks is it in a Coutinho style way? I, I, I just don't know. And given that given the Klopp you know, he's capable of moving people around, you know, will and, and bringing them in as one thing and turning them into something else. Witness, Ginny Wijnaldum, Harvey Elliott, Curtis Jones even. It's really, really hard to call where they see this one. I mean, you could build a case for him. Is he a Bobby Firmino deputy stroke replacement? You know, is he, is he going to have false nine aspirations? I... I just don't know. I, I do suspect they've brought him in t- to do bits now. I mean, he's one of the top players in the championship at the moment. So I don't think they. I don't think he's getting parked anywhere. I think you know Fabrizio Romano saying there is no intention to loan him out. I mean, you, you know, with him coming in and, and Diaz coming in, and you're seeing some top players not getting into match day squads now. I think the reading the runes of this. There's going to be a lot of movement out of Liverpool this summer, and I think it's, it's not just Origi who's going. You know, there's there's a lot of people who'll be looking over their shoulders whose contracts are running up, and you know, I'm, I'm looking at Alex Oxlade Chamberlain, Minamino, possibly Naby Keita, although things with him could change quickly. Uh, so yeah, I think those are the indications. And quite frankly, um, our front three's contracts are running down soon. Maybe Bobby Firmino's got his eye on a big move. The, the, there's only a couple of players, Gareth, who play, I would say, if we delineate the roles away from, firstly, the idea of playing, you know, not playing left-hand side of the midfield three or right-hand side of the midfield three, but there's not many players who play both in Liverpool's midfield three and in the front three. So, for instance, one of those could have been Curtis Jones, and every now and again Liverpool will flirt with him back in the front three, but it, I think they see him as a midfielder. Mm-hmm. Chamberlain is arguably the only one who moves between the two. And that's why I do sort of wonder if in the short term he may well be replacing Chamberlain in the squad. Uh, For me, though, it only looks to me like it's central. I think he's either going to be lined up as someone who plays in the front three through the middle or he's going to be lined up as someone who's going to play in the midfield three uh, off off to one side a little bit but as a central midfielder, as a a typical number eight. That's that's what I think from everything that's being said, but who knows? Yeah, I mean, that's where he's been central for Fulham, hasn't he? So, you know, you... And, and like you, you read up on him, like Rob saying before about you know looking into what he's done already and things like that, and you know uses both feet, presses, you used to a lot of the type of football that Liverpool do. But yeah, I think Oxley Chamberlain's probably the obvious shout. I think for me, he's been really disappointing this season. I think every time that he's he's sort of had an opportunity, he's not really taken it. Um, you've seen him look frustrated either with himself, the manager, or both when he's had opportunities and he's been hauled off because he's not he's not taking the opportunity. Even even in like, you know, League Cups games and things like that where it's been, you know, opposition that you would expect him to shine against, he hasn't really done it. And it, it does feel a little bit to me like it's kind of time up for him now. I think he wants. He's going to want more football than he's currently getting at Liverpool. I think he's going to be one more integral to a football team, and that's what he could sort of do with yeah. now for himself and, yeah. and for his enjoyment. I mean, he's had. You know, I'm looking at a list of minutes here, and he's had like 1,500 minutes. He's had 17 starts. He's been involved in 29 matches. So you know, on the surface, that's not that bad. It's more than Thiago, Simicast, Keiter, Jones, Milner, Minamino, Joe Gomez. You know, it. He's it, quite high up the list, but. It, can anyone say something he's particularly done? He does or, well in January, to be fair, when he plays off the right in attack, and that's what sort of grabs me. He looks yeah. like he could be a finisher, but my point is, well, we've got a big queue of footballers who are going to be doing that before weird, he is. There was a weird thing, wasn't there, of him sort of where he was sold as that for to us a little bit. I think pre-season there was talk of him being a like a false nine type player and things like that. Again, it, it just feels a little bit like Liverpool don't really know what to do with him. Um, I've heard a lot of talk on even Anfield app shows recently about, you know, well, if he doesn't get a game here, when does he get a game? And then that game that the, everyone was talking about comes and goes and he wasn't involved. Yeah. Um, and look, you might, you might still get some a go somewhere this got, month because there's loads of football. Brace in the derby, written all over him. Well, you're right, mate. I mean, anyone getting a brace in the derby is good for me. I mean, there could be up to four or five players getting a brace in the derby. Absolutely. Um, but... <laughs> 
But yeah, I just more braces than Bobby Ball. I just think. Well, he, he's he's on. Hey, for um, kids. Yeah, he's um, the money he's on is a thing as well. Um, and yeah, you know, he, he's among the top earners at the club, and, and we're not getting we're not getting a bang for our book currently from him. Absolutely, I think that reportedly was turned down and moved to Newcastle in January. By the way, Neil. All right, okay. Excellent stuff, Rob. Excellent detail. Um, so, who knows where he ends up? Uh, smart from Newcastle as well, fits the profile of what mm. they should be doing. Let's talk then about Benfica. Let's talk about Tuesday night on the pitch. Um, Rob, Liverpool ultimately end up cruising away uh, with the game in, in its final throws. There's there's lots of... It's a strange performance. It's a strange result slash discussion afterwards because Liverpool really could quite comfortably be in three or even 4 nil up at half-time uh, in that one. I thought it was... In lots of ways, I, th- I think you can still take for granted the idea of excellent away wins in Europe uh, from any point of view. 3-1 away from home, even in the non-away goals route, uh, era, it's an excellent win in the quarterfinal of any competition, at least of all the Champions League. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's a result we'd have taken in a heartbeat beforehand. The, the, all the talk going into the game was, let's get the result that makes the second leg, if not quite a formality, one that is less considerably less pressurised and gives us a chance to maybe rotate one or two in this really, really extreme, extremely condensed run of fixtures. And that's and it's really mission accomplished. And in truth, although there was a 15-minute spell where it didn't feel like it, it was done at something of a canter. I do think, had Canate not made that, it is an uncharacteristic error, and they score to make it 2-1, we might have been talking about a really sublime Liverpool performance up there with a Porto performance, uh, Porto plural performances away in Portugal. Uh, I think Liverpool were outstanding in that first half. We, we were so defensively concentrated. We were, we were in control of the football match and we created exceptional chances. I mean, Salah should put it beyond doubt just before half-time, but there's other chances for Diaz and Trent Alexander-Arnold in that half. So the quality of the chances is really, really high. And even though we concede in the second half and they have a, a half chance and a bit of a penalty shout that VAR throws out, we're never in any real danger of letting them back into that game. Um, and again, we score a great third. And, and Diogo Jota, Jesus Christ, you know, for, for, for an incredible finisher, he hasn't got quite, he's, he's racking up a bit of portfolio of glaring misses. It's not as bad as his one against Wolves, but that was a terrible miss. I'm going to say it. I think I think Diogo can take that criticism from me, having bagged twenty and having the season of his life. But yeah, it was it was a consummate Liverpool performance if you if you, if you look past the the noise halfway through it. What you miss, Lizzie, is what what occurs to you when you watch those games is we get through the first fifteen minutes, it goes the way in which it goes. Everyone moves themselves along. Benfica can have a bit of a go, and then Liverpool start to play at a pace. That Benfica have got no sense. They've never they've never experienced before, uh, apart from maybe when they play Bayern Munich in the group stages. And then Liverpool take that pace and then they up it again. And you can take that sort of stuff for granted. That is the difference ultimately. There's obviously differences in technique because that's part of being able to play at that pace, is being able to look after the ball at that pace. But it is this this speed that Liverpool are suddenly able to move at that not only can Benfica not really handle, but they're genuinely not used to ever facing. And that's why you are left in a position where Liverpool are spurning chances to not be able to be four or five ahead by half-time. Yeah, it was... It, it, I don't want to say it felt easy. I, I don't know if it was that, but I'm completely with you. It just, we just looked a million times best. Then. But I think that's obviously the way that they play as well and how the Portuguese league plays as well. It's a very different um, picture to what was the other game that night, which was Man City at Lesco Madrid. Uh, completely different setups, completely different ways of playing, and it just it just played into Liverpool's hands. And I thought it would. Um, I was a bit I was a bit annoyed. I was being spoiled. I really wanted to be about three, four, five up in the first half because I was a bit annoyed that we were, I don't know, scuffing our chances. And but listen, I thought it was an electric first half performance. I thought Canate was exceptional. Um, and I just think, like for me, that. <laughs> Not, not that I ever thought in that first half we were in, in any sort of danger of them getting back in it necessarily, but we were on their turf. We were coming to half time. You know, the, the, the Europe, top European side, they're going to have their minutes. They're going to have their time. And they did, didn't they, in the second half? They had a bit of the time. They had quite a lot of the ball in the, at the start of the second half. But um, I thought the first half was was absolutely brilliant. And it was just such a shame to to see us come, come out in the second half and drop off a little bit. But... This is the thing. This is why I'm not that bothered about um, 
necessarily go into too much into detail on on that specific performance and that we were very much here for results and that was a yeah. very big result and I'm all right with them scoring because I would have been probably shocked if they didn't given the nature of the tie um, and like I say that they need they need their time on the pitch as well and and they done quite well with the time they had. They um, Gareth they are a, a side the school, we said before the game they've scored in every game. Yep. played this year so yep. I think they were going to have a little moment they've got the lad up front who was a decent enough finish it was going to come for them they were going to find a way to force the issue for me it's that Liverpool then actually managed the game really quite well it doesn't always feel like it's a funny thing isn't it managing the game because when the game is being managed you can sort of convince yourself it's not and then only in hindsight when you either watch the game back or just think about it again you're aware that well, Liverpool bar maybe three or four minutes after it went 2-1 Liverpool just had complete control of it even if not much happens that was it it, you know, you're away from home in a in a Champions League quarter final um, against any opposition. That shouldn't be easy. And for a lot of it, Liverpool made it look easy. They had the ball. They were in control. Even on the points where you you know you felt the crowd was up a little bit, them getting a goal obviously provided that little lift. But that's their that's their only chance in the ninety. Um, you know, so for all the talk that they've been putting goals away a lot, and I think they'd scored like seventy in the league up to that point. Um, they weren't troubling us. You know, it was fairly comfortable. Um, and I was more than happy with it. And, you know, you know, if, if anything, if, if you want to be critical of Liverpool in any way, it would just be that they didn't go and score really good chances at the other end. And I thought their goalie was a little bit fortunate uh, with some of his saves. Equally, you can probably point at Liverpool players and say, should have been a bit more clinical there, should have done this, should have done that. That's certainly what we were saying to each other when we were watching it, I remember. Um but, you know, you've got to be happy with 3-1. I, I, it's literally, I'd say, a quarter-final of the Champions League. So, what you know, whatever the scoreline, really, you can't be taking the second leg of a quarter-final of the Champions League easy as such. You've got to be getting the job done. And look, you know, if, if, if people want to look at it in those terms of, you know, obsessing over the minutes, managing the minutes, getting different people on the park and all that, Liverpool can still rotate for that second leg and be absolutely fine. Um, because we'll be our own then. It's our crowd behind us. There's, there's, there's the semi-final, you know, a touch away. Yep. I'd be very, very surprised knowing the mindset of this group if they messed that up. I think, I mean, Lizzie, I'm sure you'll bear this out. That was quite, It was quite some atmosphere in that ground, I thought, on Tuesday night. The minute they got their goal, I mean, they never quietened down that crowd, and the minute they got their goal, they were really, really lifted. Liverpool did very, very well to then stay calm. And, and just reassert themselves in that match. It's 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 not to be understated that. Uh, it's difficult to assess Benfica's level in assessing the, 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 the scale of the achievement, I suppose. I mean, I said uh, beforehand, I was talking to a few, a few uh, Phil Rapp people in Lisbon, I said, I reckon maybe they're about Wolves level, Benfica, given the third in the Portuguese league, maybe they're seventh or eighth in England if they were playing in our league. I think if you go away to Wolves and win three one in that manner, you go. That's a hell of a Premier League away performance. That you know. I mean, maybe I'm over, maybe maybe Benfica aren't as good as Wolves. I think they are though. I mean, they've got a, they've got a forward in Darwin New in Nunes who's threatens to be European elite level maybe. So they're not, they're they're not they're not a terrible side by any stretch, Benfica. Um, last little thing on it, Lizzie, is Kaiter obviously impresses. We'll talk about that a little bit more uh, when we're talking about Man City selection questions and all of that. Uh, Diaz wins man of the match I think it always helps if you score the last goal in a game for that sort of thing and it's the sort of goal that it is but he was yet again very very exciting to watch yeah he is he absolutely just gets me off my seat every time that I'm watching him and I feel like you know what we, I feel, we were so spoiled with the forwards that we've got that it feels like any sort of option that comes on the front three but this fella got the pace and I, I feel like He's a little bit, he reminds me a little bit of, of Suarez with his skill. Um, I'm not saying he plays like Suarez, anything like that, just some of his, his movements, some of his skill. I think, I don't know, um, just reminds me a little bit of him. And I absolutely love watching that lad play. And if I'm being honest, I mean, just because of the team selection against Watford, I did think he'd start. But and I presume we're going to come on to talk about this, but I'm starting to think now that, that at the moment that might be our best front three, and that is credit to that lad playing on the left. Because to, to bump Sadio Mane off, who by the way is picking up, I think, some, some pretty decent form, to, to sort of come in and cement your position, if you want to call it that, uh, on that left hand side after Mane's occupied it for so long and really give him a good go to the, to the point where people say he should be starting every game in that position. I think that says everything. 
Okay, uh, this has been uh, the part one of uh, Talk Live this week. If you listen to this as a podcast coming up right now, you've got John Gibbons talking to Chris McIntosh about Silent Sleep's album launch at uh, Future Yard over in Birkenhead. Uh, lots of great stuff got happening over in Birkenhead. Do pay attention to it. Uh, loads and loads going on. But one of the things that's going on on Saturday night is uh, Silent Sleep are playing there. Uh, and there will then be uh, Liquidation uh, t- making an appearance at Future Yard. And last week, I was in Austin, Texas to do a book event for the book I wrote with Michael McCambridge uh, called Red Letters. And there's me talking to Michael about that as well over in Austin, Texas. All of that is available if you listen to this as a podcast. Uh, this is Tour Live and that's the way it works. And it's John Gibbons for Tour Live, and I'm joined uh, by an old friend, a friend of mine, and a friend of the Anfield rapper, Chris McIntosh from Silent Sleep, 28 Costumes, Harm, uh-huh. Double A, yeah. and... Uh, God knows, uh, I think I've probably just started three more bands on the way here. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? I'm good, mate, I'm good, I'm really good, all the better for seeing you, as always. It's been nice to see uh, a little bit more of you recently, because we've been rehearsing and all that, like, so, yeah. good excuse to hang out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll come on to that, but uh, you've been involved with sort of Anfield Rap stuff for quite a while all the way back to and now sort of uh, infamous no just just famous, famous. Uh, <laughs> Australia tour in yeah. 2013 so anyone who's around on that will have seen you know me and you playing together yeah, and, uh, yeah. and me you and Carl Kennedy uh, playing together Carl, well. yeah and Craig Johnson I think yeah it was wild yeah yeah, I can't believe it is that long ago now, 2013, 2013. Yeah. almost a 10 year anniversary, but yeah, what a trip that was, yeah, I remember uh, I remember, I just moved back from Berlin and I'd started the band Silent Sleep and um, I remember I put on Facebook, does anyone know any trumpet players, and about 50 people unanimously all replied, like, John Givens, John Givens, John Givens, <laughs> like, who is this John Givens guy? <laughs> the next thing was on a flight with you to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's been like a bit of a running joke, hasn't it, for yeah. the years that we've been friends, that you've come along and um, improved my life <laughs> by uh, tenfold or whatever. But, you know, it's, it's half true, like, there's no smoke without fire. But yeah, Australia was amazing, wasn't it? We, um, we've done Sydney, yeah, and we've done, did we do Perth? Did I no, just, no, just Sydney and Melbourne. Sydney and Melbourne, that was it, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I remember it was uh, it was me and you on the trumpet, and you were playing a uh, percussion. I can't say drums, percussion <laughs> on an old football trophy of mine, which you've still got. Still got, yes. Yeah, it's still yeah. sort of weird that out. And so, so that was sort of you know the beginnings of, of Silent Sleep. If you like, you, mm-hmm. you mentioned there being in Berlin, and, and that's where you sort of wrote a, a lot of the songs. And some of them end up sort of being about Liverpool. And I think people listen to this will resonate with that. Well, we obviously, you know, I mean, we've got listeners all over the world, but some of whom started here and, and moved away. And one yeah. of your songs in particular, uh, Steps of the Bombdale Church, which people will have heard if you haven't go and listened to it, is is about that really, isn't it? It's about being sort of away from home, but thinking about yeah. things that were important to you. Yeah, it, it's it's the the song that seems to resonate with, with the most people out of all the songs I've written. And I don't think I could have written that song had I, had I been in Liverpool. You know, if I was living in Liverpool, it'd be a bit cringy, it'd be a bit cheesy, like, you know, writing about on the steps of the Bombed Out Church. But when I was living away, and I think I'd been away for about 18 months at this stage, and, you know, the, the winters are long and cold and dark in Berlin, so you do end up spending a lot of time inside. Mm. Um, and you do end up, you know, you crave the little things at home, like just like meeting your friends and, like, obviously coming from Liverpool when you're going to town to meet your mates, it's just always meeting, I'll meet you on the steps of the Bombed Out Church because every bus, no matter what part of Liverpool you're from, always goes past the Bombed Out Church or, like, the 86, the 82 mm. or whatever. So, yeah, I ended up writing it. And I just, I remember, I remember writing it. And I remember just, um, like, the imagery of walking down, you know, the, the line, it's hard to walk downhill when all the streets are glazed with ice. And I remember walking down Harbin Street one boxing night and the streets were glazed with ice and it was, like, going, nearly going on my arse, you know. It was, like, I think I was flying for liquidation. So every every line in it is, like, you know, is, is a little piece of my life from, yeah. from Liverpool, like, yeah, a little memory. But, yeah, it's a, it's a special song and it still seems to resonate with people now, like. Well... You know, it really has. I mean, it's funny because you, you know, I mentioned there a little bit with Carl Kennedy. You know, he was, he was, he asked to to, to play. He, so he, he he loved that song so much. Yeah. He said when when the boys come over, could, uh, and he learned yeah, that it. Was, that was he learned it with his band. With his band, yeah, yeah uh, the we, waiting room. Yeah, <laughs> that's Carl, right. Yeah, Alan, yeah. Alan, I think it was Alan Fletcher in the waiting room. Yeah, but yeah, he got in touch pre us coming to yeah. uh, arriving in Australia, um, and obviously, you know. I knew him, he didn't know me, but to receive an email from Alan, or from Carl Kennedy, as I yeah. you know, still call him sometimes, um, saying he, him and his band were going to learn the song, and they did, they learned it spot yeah. on before I came, and then we just got up and slotted into his band. Like, <laughs> it, was, it was a dead surreal, yeah. really surreal um, 
you know, thing to happen. But did he tell you he's been back in touch? No. Yeah, Alan Fletcher sent me um, an Instagram message about a month ago saying, hi, Chris, um, he's doing a covers album and he wants to do a version of the Bombed Out Church that's to, to stick on his covers album. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you a little funny story. I um, he, he sent me that message and I was out at the time. It was like a big, long message, you know, check, checking in, catching up. And he was saying, like, you know, I'd love to cover on the steps of the Bombed Out Church. And I, I read the message and because I was out, I was just like, I'm going to put that away and I'm going to reply to that tomorrow, you know, when I'm like sober or when I'm back. I've got a bit of time to read it and give a proper reply. But in the meantime, I didn't realise this. When I woke up in the morning and come to reply to it, I'd replied to it already. I must have done it in my pocket without realising. And it was a gif or like a little video of Lady Gaga on stage at the European Music <laughs> Music Television MTV Awards smashing up the stage and it was just that no context at all and I just re- I, I just opened it in the morning and I just went oh my god what what the hell is that like and it, she's just going mad smashing up this big mirror and then he replied saying I'm, I'm not too sure what you mean by that message mate and I just went oh my god mate I don't know I don't even know what I meant myself like you know and I had to explain but yeah there was a really horrible feeling in my stomach when I, when I opened that the next morning <laughs> you know, it's funny because I mean you just just talking about you saying about how how it resonates with people you know I, I wasn't going to talk about this but I've just been reminded you know I've been at a wedding and suddenly it's come on and, and yeah. you weren't even there and I thought oh really yeah yeah, yeah. and I was like you know it's it, it, it you know it's, it's people who had that you know wanted to play at the wedding and I was like oh, that, I wish yeah. I bought me trumpet you know what I mean I just played along but I know there's people you don't even know who've had it played at the funeral and yeah, stuff like was, that which was, was incredible a, there was one instance which will always stay with me uh, I was I used to play on a Sunday afternoon in a, a bar of me, that my friend owns called Three Piggies in Liverpool I used to just go on a Sunday afternoon with my guitar and basically play for red wine like you know <laughs> it was just an excuse for me to get hammered on a Sunday afternoon but I was playing on the steps of the Bamdow Church and this woman come into to Three Piggies and she stopped in the tracks. She was with her family and she stopped in the tracks. And when I finished playing, she was like, is that your song? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she said, oh my God, this is so bizarre. She said she'd travelled. She's from Liverpool originally, but she, she must have been about 45. She's from Liverpool originally. She, she'd moved to Leicester, I think it was. And she'd come back to Liverpool to sort her dad's estate out. Her dad had recently died. Um, and she'd come back to sort everything out and sort the funeral out and they were doing the funeral arrangements that day and she said you're not going to believe this but my dad used to love that song he used to play it all the time like you know she said it reminded him of when he was a kid even though I'm guessing there was a bit of an age difference between me and him Um, but yeah for for whatever reason like you know it made him really nostalgic and he wanted it played at his funeral Mm. so when they were when she'd come back to sort you know the funeral arrangements out and they were going through the music she she Put that got that song ready to play in her dad's funeral. She walked into the bar. She doesn't even live in Liverpool, mm. and she walked into that bar like of all the bar, of all the bars, <laughs> um, and there I was playing it like, and I, I, it, you know, it's just like little things like that. It was a really magical moment, um, and I, I just didn't know what to say to it. You know what yeah. I mean? I was like, wow, that's amazing. Wow, you know, um, maybe I should have offered to go and play at the funeral. Like, you know, <laughs> was that a bit weird? I don't know. No, it's it's it, yeah. It just shows the power of music and the power of that exactly, song in yeah. particular. And, and we're getting all together to play that song and, and many yeah, others. Yeah, we are uh, next month. Yeah, the ninth ninth of April, we're um, getting the band back together. I say that we never really we didn't split up as such, did we? It was you kind just of one like... of the more successful things. For a while, <laughs> and, uh, and I did a, I did a little footy podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. A lot's happened since we kind of like since <laughs> since we first got the band together. Um, but yeah. Um, we're doing a gig on the 9th of April um, at Future Yard over in Birkenhead which is an incredible venue brand new venue I know it's in Birkenhead but don't let that put you off um, and yeah you know we had our first rehearsal um, the other night with, with you and the other lads who played brass and the you know the rest of the band and stuff and it just felt magic it is it, you know when you, you don't realise you're missing something until yeah. you do it and then you go bloody hell I really have been missing this it's so nice to like you know, play music with you, you with your best mates, and because we've just, all missed that, haven't we? Because yeah, you know, with, with lockdown and reasons, stuff, there's like, loads of us have, have missed you know things we enjoy doing. But that's the first time in, in a long time that, that I'd played music with my mates, and like, yeah, it's just it's just so nice, and exactly. So yeah. like, you know, as you say, you didn't realize you needed it until you did it. Yeah, and it come, you know, like sometimes, especially after having this year or two or a couple of years of COVID, 
and you, you do get used to like not doing as much or I find myself just being quite happy just sitting in and like having to really push myself when I, when it comes to like things like um, you know practices or I'm like always like on the you know there's always a bit of me that's like oh, I wish I could just stay in like yeah. so you really push yourself but when it did I gave Graham a lift home our bass player afterwards and I was like you know I'm so glad that I did push myself because it was just felt amazing like kind of you know I enjoyed it so much just to be with everyone for a start, but then just to, you know when you do start playing music again and you're looking at everyone and it's all there and everyone's remembered everything like and yeah I think the gig's gonna be a really special one like I think yeah we're gonna have a great time we're definitely gonna have a great we'll time we'll have an Hopefully even better be time people. if loads of other people come <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean like you know we'd still have a good time if it was just <laughs> us but it'd be nice to be joined by a few people like so just say the details again obviously it's future yeah, it's the, future yard uh, future yard uh, which is in Birkenhead uh, it's the 9th of April Saturday the 9th of April. Uh, there's ourselves, Silent Sleep. There's um, the Quiet Man, which is um, a great band from Liverpool, run by or headed up by Drew Connor. And there's a brilliant band from Chester called Campfire Social. Um, all bands quite similar, you know what I mean? It's quite a well matched bill. Uh, and then afterwards, there's a liquidation. Jules is doing a big liquidation reunion, so that's going to be going on until three a.m. So there's quite a lot of, you know, I think the tickets are ten pound, but you get entrance into liquidation as well. So. Because, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a great night. I'm really, really looking forward to it. And anyone who can't come who wants to hear those old Silent Sleep songs, uh, I yeah. didn't notice that they're not on Spotify anymore. They're not, but... they're not on Spotify anymore. They, they came off um, through some, like, you know, it was, bit, it was a bit complicated, the reason why they come off, but they're going back on okay. soon. Um, they're around on SoundCloud and stuff like that. I think so, well. yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. They're around on SoundCloud. And you can buy the album digitally from Bandcamp. On you know the the record label that me and Graham set up, I'll do uh, that. Defend Vinyl Records. Yeah, if you just Google that, it'll be there. But I'm going to get it all back on Spotify by the time the gig comes out. Brilliant, lovely to see you, yeah, my mate. I'll see you at see you rehearsal. Yes, yeah, see, you, see you in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> it's Neil Atkinson in a windy Austin, Texas, with Michael McCambridge. Before we're going to do our book event about red letters, uh, the story of our correspondence through the 1920 season that took in. COVID, it took it illegally from a Liverpool point of view, it took in absolutely everything. Michael, it's great to be here and be able to talk about the book in front of people. We have not got to do that yet. The premise of the book actually indicates why that's difficult. <laughs> what were those what were those living different sides of the Atlantic Ocean? True that. It's um I have felt every one of the whatever it is, four thousand eight hundred and ninety-two miles of separation <laughs> that we've had, but I thought that the master plan was when the book came out, we would be able to get together and and promote it either on that side of the Atlantic or this one. But global pandemics had other things in mind. They did. The book ends up being, it's almost split into thirds. There's the first third, which is us discovering what we each think and talking about the what was the hard part of that season. And then there's the second third of the book, which is us growing more comfortable, uh, both with the season and I think also with the endeavour a little bit more. And then there's the third part of the book, which is predominantly about the pandemic. To me, it's it's a very strange thing. The one thing, the one thing I thought we were writing when we started was going to be something that was an element of of documenting a bit of Liverpool football club history. A really strange thing about the book is that we do end up being, maybe we should flatter ourselves and be say, and say in 100 years' time will be excellent primary source material for what life during the pandemic was actually like then. Yes, but that was, that was the function, if not the purpose. I think that um, one of the things that was clear from the beginning was that we were not simply trying to document game by game of a Liverpool football season, because that is done very well in many places, the Anfield rap among them. But I think instead, um, speaking for myself, I was hoping in the process of corresponding on a weekly basis with you throughout a football season to get a better handle and a better understanding on why otherwise seemingly intelligent, rational people devote so much time, money, psychic, emotional energy to an endeavor over which they have absolutely and utterly no control over. Um, and it was, it, it was a chance, I think, for both of us to step back and say, this is a choice. This is not, attendance is not compulsory at 
games that kick off at 6.30 in the morning in Austin, Texas, um, why do we do it? Why do we make that? Why do we consistently make that choice? And I think that we were beginning to get some perspective on that when we got to look at it from an entirely pers different perspective, which is now you no longer have a choice because now there are no games and now there's nothing going on. <laughs> what do you think about that? So. I think I think on that one of the one of the strangest things, and we still now twelve months ago as we record this, you couldn't go to football matches in in the, in the United Kingdom. You couldn't go to a game. You couldn't you couldn't go and watch a game. Still, so it was still the case then. And I think the the speed with which we click back and forget that I think is I've actually found it, it, it one of the very few things I would describe as a little bit depressing this season. Is that I, I think that it's become. To, to, to take you know 12 months ago we would have said we'll never take this for granted again and then 12 months on because humans are humans and you get used to things again it begins to happen you're very good at taking things for granted yeah, it transpires for me one of the things that I think is really important is to, to have documented that that complete loss of games not just Premier League football but all forms of games to have had that moment of all these things that you punctuate your life with that you look forward to as a sports fan of any discipline guess what they're gone and what are you going to do now? And I genuinely still look at that period as being almost loose in time. It's got no markers. It's got nothing to hook itself onto. It just flaps around. Exactly. Um, I remember writing to you that April of 2020 was the first gameless month of our lives. Not just no soccer, no hockey, no basketball, no cricket, no tennis, no, tennis, no auto racing. Absolutely full stop, nothing. And one of the things that struck me about that was obviously we missed Liverpool terribly because it was a dream season up until it was not that. But I think the other thing is if those events had been going on and I was forced to miss all of them, I would have felt likely somewhat tormented. You know, what's happening in March Madness? What's happening in the NBA? What's happening? But knowing that the events weren't going on at all, made it easier to accept missing them. But strangely enough, it brought into greater relief for me that the thing we get from watching our favorite teams is not replicated anywhere else. You can't get it from watching Istanbul replays over and over again because you don't have the anxiety and the nerves and that sense of oh, I need to grab a hold of my worry beads to see if this one nil advantage is going to hold into stoppage time. There's, there's no replicating that. And you also, I watched all of Mad Men again. I read a lot of books. I saw a lot of movies. But what I get from watching Liverpool or watching the Kansas City Chiefs, I couldn't get from movies or literature or anything else. It takes the real, the real thing. It's the other sort of bits that I think come through really really strongly in the book that I'm still I'm still very proud of and we're going to talk about tonight uh, as we talk about the book in front of people for the first time is is the the way in which you approach this task in, in quite a different way to me so most of my writing not all of it I hasten to add but most of my writing is done in really short periods of time mostly about an event that's just occurred or something that's broken in the news in terms of the daily emails the way you write and your background is, you know, excellent author of uh, America's Game and many other books as well. And within that, therefore, you're, I've just been in your, your flat. I'm not going to give too much away, but you've got a massive plan for, a, for another book, which is, you know, on a huge bits of cardboard and there's post-it notes everywhere detailing what it is you're going to feel as though you need to do. And for me, it's really interesting that I, for me, the idea of doing it on a weekly basis and getting more time to think about it, meant I had to think about it differently. But the idea for you was, well, a weekly basis for you was quite a compressed period of time. Yes. How is this going to work? <laughs> it had been, um, I want to say, 25 years since I'd done regular weekly writing back when I was the film critic at the newspaper here in Austin and was writing a column every week. And this was, this was also different because it was much more personal writing. It was much more divergent writing. It was using a result as a jumping off point for how concerned should we be that Mo and Sadio don't seem to be getting along at the moment. And also, in the same breath, comparing the experience of my perception of Mo and Sadio not getting along on live TV with replays 
to your perception in the grounds where you didn't even notice that Mo yep. and Sadio weren't getting on at the moment. I think part of that is it is the geographical thing before. You mentioned before about the time that you know people in Austin have to get up. We're going to be doing this in Riley's Bar later on as well, which I'm, I'm really looking forward to being part of that scene. The other thing about that, though, is the importance of the supporters club. It comes through repeatedly in your letters. You know, there's this cast of characters that, that you experience these games with. And it's something that I've, I've really taken from those letters. And also, whenever I've gone around the world, been lucky to do that, talking about Liverpool to different people, is the importance of football. And again, this was something that was lost, football being hugely social. For me, that is the it's the only way the whole thing really genuinely makes sense. I, I, I implore everyone uh, who's not fortunate enough to be able to get to Anfield on a regular basis to find a supporters club. Because I do think that it's interesting to be able to meet such a wide range of people with the one shared common interest. Yeah, and I, I think I mentioned early on in the book that that, has, that is the thing that has most tangibly changed about the way the sport is followed in the United States of America. In 2005, I watched almost all the Champions League games in my living room, um, talking to my, um, my dear friend Rob, who was down in Dallas. I was in St. Louis at the time. And we would, you know, spend hours on the phone after matches, parsing them out. And I think I, re- you know, I recall at the end of that, I felt like I just witnessed something truly remarkable. But what was different is after winning the Champions League in 2019, after spending season after season with this group in Austin and con- converging mornings at 630 workday afternoons for Champions League knockout games, I felt like I was part of something remarkable. And it was a, it was a, both feelings were wonderful, but there was a richness and a texture to having a whole social group around it that um, I would miss if it went away. And I did miss when there were no games or we couldn't watch them together. Do you think that that's the case in the United States? I'll stick with the United States. In the United States, for all teams or do you think that Liverpool is you know without without wanting to even open up the idea of being able to be accused uh, of an exceptionalism do you think that Liverpool is a little bit different that people do see it a little bit differently I think that there are there are other bars in Austin for followers there's you know there's a Manchester City bar where all the people who've been soccer fans for 15 minutes (laughs) can get together and cheer for Man City um, but no, there is, I don't see an obvious analog. I know I know fans of Chelsea, I know fans of United, I know fans of Arsenal, but there's, there's nothing really like in Austin. You know, we've had Stevie Nichol, we've had a number of Liverpool legends come by. When Peter Moore was the CEO, he came by with his, all of his PowerPoint slides and, and gave, it was one of those things that, he was jet lagged and had just flown in and was speaking at South by Southwest and still found time to do a 90 minute presentation and, and handle questions. And I don't think the Chelsea CEO was coming across to talk to, to those fans. And, and so I do think it is um, a matter of not just degree, but maybe of kind with with the Liverpool group. Okay, so it's red letters. Uh, we're off to go and do it now. Uh, well, broadly now, we're going to go and have some sushi first because I think we're also meant to enjoy this. Uh, but we're going to go and do the business now. Uh, red letters, the story of Liverpool season in 2019-20, but with so much else going on. Thank you very much to Michael, uh, first and foremost, uh, for doing this chat. But secondly, we're also collaborating on the book. It was an absolute pleasure. We are back, and we are back to talk about Liverpool's game against Manchester City at the Etihad. There are some games that are epoch-defining. There are some games that will have resonations across an entire generation. There are some games that will be absolutely huge and talked about for many a year. That is happening at Goodison Park, 12.30 on Saturday morning. (laughs) But there's a pretty big game following it up on Sunday at half past four at the Etihad. And Gareth, the first thing I think, and the thing I want to say about this the most is... 12 months ago, we wouldn't have been able to go. 12 months ago, it would have been played in front of, behind closed doors. This Liverpool side last season was toiling, toiling massively, huge injury crisis. They have pulled themselves around. They pulled themselves around from that injury crisis. And this year, there was a period of time where they were 14 points behind. They have turned this game into the absolutely enormous game that it is in two different ways. Once 12 months ago, once right now. 
this is a Liverpool side that's shown such resilience. We should be so proud of them before the ball's kicked on Sunday. And if they win, my God, it'll feel absolutely enormous. Absolutely. All of that, all of that and more because... I think what's interesting, it's come out of both camps now, whether it be players, managers or whatever, you can see them hinting at something that they know football fans don't particularly want to hear. But that is both teams can't win the league. Um, and they're both brilliant sides. And and look, you know, there's a I'm looking at a graphic right now, which was on The Athletic um, yesterday morning or this morning, I can't remember either way, Ollie Kay's piece uh, about the two sides. And he, he says there, from between August 2018 and April 2022, City have won 338 points, Liverpool 337. And that sort of says it all, particularly when you think about you know, the period where we stopped winning points and we had that six-game spell at Anfield. Well, Gutman called for the manager's head. Yeah, all of that. Um, yeah. and, and that was awful and horrible. And, of and, Gutman. Uh, it was awful and horrible of Gutman and to be a Liverpool fan <laughs> at that point. Uh, but, you know, they very quickly pulled it back round and, and they've gone back at a pace again. <laughs> um, and, you know, the 14 points thing yeah we had two games in hand at the time but you know everyone was doing the thing of saying even the positive people I think you know were saying things like but you'd rather have the points and all that kind of stuff um and we've clawed it all the way back 10 wins on the spin City haven't done a lot wrong by the way no nope. you know, they just drawn two games and lost to Tottenham Hotspur and won everything else and it's like but that's how that's how these two sides have driven each other on the standards are unbelievable ridiculous almost and you know, the, these lads, our lads have put absolutely everything into this. And I, I can't tell you, and I don't think anyone can tell you with certainty what happens on Sunday. And that's why it's so interesting. Um, you know, it, it's like one of those things like old school heavyweight clash between two boxes where everyone fills the pub, even people who don't like boxing, because they want to see what happens because no one really knows. And, and this is one of them for me, you know. City are so good, Liverpool are so good, there's so many good individuals on both sides, two world-class managers, all of those things. Yeah. It, 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 it's so hard to, to, to know what's going to happen. And, and I think it's one of them, you know, like, look, I'm, I'm, I'm cracking on a bit now compared to when I was a football fan, you know, when I first started going and all that. And, you know, a kind of, a little bit of me is like, yeah, I've seen a lot of these scenarios before and all this kind of thing. But this is different. And I, I genuinely feel nervous about doing it. Uh, like, you know, in the build-up to this, I was doing a preview show before. And like, you know, my stomach was going a bit off it because I was just like, I don't know what to say to you. For weeks and weeks and weeks, we've been sitting in front of a microphone saying, Liverpool win this. Liverpool are the favourites for this. No problem at all. This is different, obviously. This is different to quote the late, the, not the late, but the great Kev Walsh, uh, Rob Gutman. We've all seen footy. Uh, and I've always liked that as a lie. Well, we've all seen footy. Sunday feels a bit like an example of the sort of football you've just not seen very often. Uh, you know, when when Gareth's saying there about it's hard to even predict. I can't. I can't even imagine quite what the first ten minutes looks like. And I'm saying that as someone who has seen footy, and that that's why this is. It is absolutely compelling as far as I'm concerned. It's. It. I've got no idea quite how we're going to approach it. I, struggle to say how they're going to approach it because I think their manager's much more pragmatic than people people suspect he is. He's more likely to change, I think, in a few senses than our manager is. Uh, you know, I'm, I am almost at a loss about how this one plays out other than the fact that it'll be compelling from the first kick. Yeah, it's all brand new. Like a virgin, touched for the very first time. And it's... I'm... <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know what Gareth's saying. I don't. I don't quite remember feeling quite the way I do about this in some sort of neat, unique niche way. I mean, t echoes of twenty fourteen when they came to Anfield, and we were able to turn that 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 title chase in our favour, albeit that we let it slip. Uh, so it's definitely got echoes of that. It's it's hard to know how how uh, how Guardiola will approach. I mean, I think. Actually, I don't, I don't know how either manager will approach it. I think if I'm if I'm Pep and I'm City, the draw the draw is an absolutely fine result for them. I think they'd lo love to deal deal us a near killer blow by beating us. Of course they would, but I think they, they'll think they can do that by being ready so, by just waiting for us to come and, and so picking let us me, off. Let me come back to you on this, Rob, and I'll bring Lizzie in very patiently. There's there's a thing that occurred to me today. The game theory of it is if we win. We still need to win every game from now until the end of the season. If not they so. win, sorry, not so because we'd have a two-point lead with a superior goal difference. Yeah, but they're going to twat someone eleven nil, so that's, yeah, that's taken out the equation. Yeah. So we need to win every game from now until the end of the season to be sure that we win the league. If we win, 
if they win, if they win, then they've given themselves a buffer. What I think is really interesting is I'm going to ask you whether or not you take a draw in a minute, and I'm, everyone's going to get that question at the very end. I'm not going to ask you for a prediction. I'm going to ask you if you take a draw, so be prepared for that. But that's what I think is really interesting. It occurred to me today, the game theory of it is for them, if they win, it means they can lose between now and the end of the season, and they've got that buffer. For us, it will not. we need to win. If we draw or win, we still need to win every game from now until the end of the season. If they win, they have given themselves a buffer. And I just think that's a really interesting psychology. There is that thing that they get if they win that we would not get. Uh, it's... No, we do. I'm sorry, I'm not having it. They would. They get a definite buffer, but because there would be a, if by winning one nil, there would be a goal, a further goal of swing of two, and it's five at the moment. There would be a seven lead on us. Now we would have to win all but one game, so that means they'd have one game in theory to make up a seven goal margin on us. You could argue, and I know you will argue. I will that their argue. Games, yes. they, they, they have a, they get their fixtures look more more back. They have no, no. I would, I would, more. I would just argue that I think if you think a seven goal goal difference can't be overturned between now and the end of the season in either direction, I'd, I'd think if we were chasing them, if you think that the the carrot of, say, of saying to a side, you know, when you're coming up against a certain team and you you know you you go three 0 up at half time and normally you'd stop, which both of these teams are capable of, but you don't stop and you keep going and you keep going and you keep going. I, you know, I, I don't think, I think you need to take goal difference out of it in that sense. That's all I think. That's all I'm I think saying. Just, and there's something else, Rob, I think, which yeah. is I think if they get the buffer, they don't need it. Whereas I think, I think scoreboard pressure with the way in which you look at the way they've dropped points against Southampton and against Crystal Palace, where they've got to 70 minutes and it's not happening for them and they haven't got a striker and they're banging on the door. I think with scoreboard pressure, this City side has got it in them to drop points if there's genuine pressure of Liverpool, you know, if we, let's just imagine we draw this, we beat Man United and they kick off against Brighton and it's nil-nil in the Etihad on 60, they will be a bag of nerves about that, an absolute bag of nerves about that if it's not happening for them. Scoreboard pressure is everything. You may be right. I mean, I'm trying to think of examples of when either side has shown themselves vulnerable to scoreboard pressure. Uh, I think in the, the season we run away with the title, they showed themselves vulnerable to it time and time again but then but thereafter the year before they don't you know so it's it's it's, it's hard to read we're always forever looking for precedent for looking for signs and the moment all i can go on is saying is the form of the last eight weeks the momentum is with us uh we would lose it dramatically by losing right if we won it the retention of momentum the completion of 11th straight win it would feel like there was a mighty swell behind us, and they would feel a huge, a huge uh, amount of doubt. They would, they, they would fear that this Liverpool side, having real control over its own destiny, was it's just too much graft to try and overhaul and concentrate on, especially when they'd really, really like to right the wrong of, of last uh, last May and their defeat in the Champions League final to Chelsea. So you're right. At the end of the day. It's it's not this. It can't it can't really decide the title. This because asking a team to win seven games afterwards is no small is no small uh, ask. Whatever happens, it doesn't define the title, but it does it does point someone in a direction. It points someone in a direction. The thing for me with them, Lizzie, and this isn't just for this game, but it's for all the games that follow. Rob mentioned there about them right in the wrong of last of last season, i.e., not winning the Champions League. The manager himself, their manager, hasn't won the Champions League since I think 2012 or even 2011, and he very much sees himself as a manager who should be doing that. He's they're in a situation I think where they've got a massive game coming up on Wednesday. The first leg it goes okay for them but it doesn't go entirely as they'd like but also on the horizon it looks like they've got a likely double header coming against Real Madrid which I think would be overwhelming for that football club in a number of different ways in a way in which it's not for Real Madrid they've got the buffer at the top of their league as well I'm I'm of the view that you know if Liverpool can find a way to make City vulnerable on Sunday there are more vulnerabilities to follow for this Manchester City team and that's one of the things that's that's possible here because we are genuinely talking about the two best football teams in the world so if there's a way to make them vulnerable then my god we should be trying to take it oh 100% but I do I suppose I do want to answer the question about the draw thing yes I was going to say I do think that happens from us with a win only um and I think it's going to be one of those ones where we're just constantly looking at the table. And, and I think that their running is 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 much better than ours in terms of the league. I think they've got better fixtures that I would probably 
back them to pick up the points. Anyway, I think the Real Madrid thing is interesting. And I think because the psychological pressure, I think, in a semi-final, thinking almost that you cannot, I don't want to say bottle it, that's probably the wrong word, but basically that they can't lose because it's it's this thing that's hanging over them, the Champions League. And to deal with that amongst, if Liverpool, like you say, are on top by two points clear, um, I don't know how the fixtures fall in terms of who plays first on what we could do. I haven't really looked into it that much. But I'd be I would be quite interested to see how they do deal with that if if they do go through. And this is another thing is the the Atletico game will be a little bit on the mind for for when they've got to go and play them because they've only got they're only one nil up there. Atletico work them hard. Like and not not that I saw obviously the whole game, but I saw a couple of the stats. There's something about how many shots on target. It was it was absolutely mad. So Atletico work them hard. And if you're Pep. Listen, it's a great position to be in I, for, for them and for us to be thinking, oh, yeah, but what about the Champions League? Oh, we've got the FA Cup semi. Oh, we've got... It's a great position for both. It's just... I I know you're talking about vulnerabilities with City, but I can never really see it, if I'm being honest, just because they've hardly ever faltered. I think they're a brilliant, brilliant football side. Um, and, I think and they're brilliant, but I think the really weird thing is, so when people talk about the running, so Skyjacker says it, says there in the comments, and you've said it as well, Lizzie, the Reds have a much more difficult running than City. I dispute that completely. The reason why is I think Liverpool and City are so far ahead of the rest of the country, with the possible exception of Chelsea, but it sort of doesn't matter who they play. And if you look at where City have dropped points this season, twice against Crystal Palace, twice against Southampton, there's other fixtures in there as well. It's only because the, the lad at Wolves, uh, the Etihad does something mad. Wolves got to half time at nil nil I don't think it matters who these two teams play in a sense Everton some teams compared, Everton nearly gets something and they're abject Rob you know mm-hmm. I think there's there is this thing where ultimately you know if you, listen if we both had Chelsea to play or we both had Norwich to play then I'd go well alright there's a bit of a difference there for me and I don't know what you think, Gareth. I think all the talk of the, the remaining fixtures, I'm more worried about Villa away than I am about Man United at home. Man United are rubbish. Yeah, Man United are shit and Everton are shit. And in normal circumstances in a season, you'd look yeah. at them and say, okay, they're difficult. They're not fucking difficult. We've gone away from home, battered Man United 5 0. We've gone to Goodison Park, won 4 1, and that flattered them. And we're in the mood and we've won at City, and it's about just getting these other games out the way. I, I, I totally back them to do it. Tottenham is the one that worries me a little bit in that they picked up form. Son and Kane are more than capable of winning a game. I'm weirdly worried about Southampton because they're more than capable of just being a pain in the arse on the day. They've stopped City twice. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. my point is, my point is, I'm not that bothered about Si Like, if, if City had Arsenal. I wouldn't think, oh, they're going to drop points to Arsenal. I just go, they'll beat Arsenal. We well, beat I, Arsenal. We, 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 we well, roll them. They'll roll them. I, I do see I do see a vulnerability in City, and I think it's psychological um, in that just the stuff that comes out of mouths all the time. I think that's interesting that you brought that up. Like, you know, even Pep today, or, or, or certainly reported today, he's talking about that 14-point lead being false. And it's like, he's almost getting ready to show a narrative to say, well, we didn't blow a 14-point lead. Yeah, but it's in your head already, mate. Yeah. You're already talking about it. And I think that that's in all that's possibly in all of their heads in that. And, and that's why I think there's more pressure on them than there is on Liverpool. Liverpool, as you started the show with, have done fantastic to get to this position, to take it to this much of, a, of the wire, if you like. Um, and, and City should have been able to say, false my ass. They should they should have doubled down, gone away, disappeared, like everyone wrote that they were They should have gone and won a Crystal Palace. We won a Crystal Palace. Go and win a Crystal yeah. Palace. Don't draw with Southampton. Don't lose to Tottenham. And, you know, we're not having we're not having all these conversations and it isn't this big, huge game, you know, with only eight games remaining. Did we crap against Tottenham? Yeah. Can Can I just they say, deserve to get beat. So, do you think that Southampton, Newcastle, um, Villa away, just three I can think of of the seven after, they're... They're all not as good as Benfica, not not nearly as good as Benfica, I would say. Benfica have got themselves, hauled themselves to the quarterfinals of the European Cup, but Benfica were made to look a, a very significant tier below Liverpool. They play uh, differently, though, Robert. This is the thing: like Benfica aren't going to, you know, sit back and, and park the bus, are they? They're going to try and play football at their own football grounds. But I think at their own grounds, I don't think I think I think the Villa, the Villa crowd, the Newcastle crowd, even the Southampton crowd won't allow those teams quite to part the bus. And also, those, those sort of managers will want to. Do, they're not, they're not pure defensive coaches. I mean, I hope Stevie G. <laughs> actually, I don't even want to be make make bounce gags about. It. He's not going to throw any any games for us. But I don't think there are teams that will part the bus against us. I don't. I don't even. I think they might be forced to sit back, and then so will Benfica. Okay. Um, 
team then, Liverpool team, uh, Manchester City team, they can worry about that, Lizzie. Liverpool team, um, for me, it's three from four in the middle of the park. Uh, Kaita Henderson, Thiago and Fabinho. Mm-hmm. And it's three from five in attack. I expect the back four, and I'm not even going to get into it with you, is the back four will be Alisson, Matip, Van Dijk, uh, Trent and Robertson. Three from five in attack, three from four in midfield, Lizzie, what are you doing? So midfield, I definitely want to see Fabinho, Henderson, Thiago. I think that's the midfield that needs to start for me. I think it's like the most solid. Um, and I think as much as Cater done really well, I think like we, we've spoken about the sort of type of football game it is. And I think Cater performs well when the game is a little bit more open. And I'd rather maybe have him on the bench to bring him on as something different. I feel like we do need Henderson on the pitch from the start. And then it's a no given for Fabinho and Thiago for me. Um, the three is really interesting because I had a feeling of, I, I would like to see the three that we saw against Benfica. Diaz, Manny through the middle and Salah on the right. However, I had this weird feeling. I just had this feeling because I don't think Klopp's going to expect to go there and win by two, three, four, whatever. He'll want to win it in just any fashion possible. I just have this weird feeling he'll go with his old traditional front three and I don't know why. Just with that extra help that Bobby Firmino can give to the midfield and his dropping back deep and, and all the work he can put in. I just have this, it's like a good feeling. Not necessarily who I'd want to start, but I wouldn't be surprised if he'd done something a bit mad. And um, and it's mad to say that he that would be mad now because of the luxuries we've got in the front three. I just have this feeling he might do. Manny, Firmino and Salah, don't know. I've got I've got been thinking the same about about Firmino. Um, I just think he loves Firmino. And I actually thought Firmino looked much more like the Firmino of old um, the other week. Um, he was much better. He had more energy. He was getting around, and and I think you know you, you know you're going to get that. You know he can go and put pressure on their defensive midfielder. You know he, he can upset the apple cart if you like in terms of winning it back. And that's obviously going to be huge in this game. And I think maybe for that reason, I don't think you're dropping Mo Salah. Um, there's obviously a conversation that you can have if you want to have it about he's not in his best form. And no, he's not. He on, looks, on all phases of the pitch. Yeah, he looks in a, a little bit in his own head and you can see him beating himself up about his touch, about his finishing and everything else. But look, he's got a good record against City. He scored a lot of goals against City. They'll still be worried about him. There's no two ways about that. And maybe it's the type of game and fixture occasion that, that jolts him into something. Yeah, fingers crossed that being the case. I don't think you can drop Diaz. Um, you've got to start him. I want to see him start, and it, it, it's only that it's only that middle role really where I think there's a question. And I think Firmino is the one who grafts the most out of Firmino, Mane, and Jota. So I think that gives them the edge of, of potentially starting. And then those two, those other two, who were missing out on the bench. Well, what fucking great options they are. Um, that w- that would be where I would go with it because I, I think I think the first goal in it. Certainly obvious here, but the first goal is massive because City haven't. I don't think have lost once they've taken. They haven't dropped points. They haven't dropped yeah, points. Once, once they've taken the lead this season, they haven't lost the games. So, well, they haven't dropped points as you say. So, therefore, there's a. Although I want to see them do all the things that we all, footy fans always say, I want to see them out the traps in the faces, cut you know, upsetting the you know, upsetting their fans, upsetting the team, all the rest of it. I just think for me, you know, adds that little bit of defensive quality as well. You see, I think we take nil nil on sixty, and they don't. I don't think he wants nil nil on sixty Guardiola. You know the way in which a lot of the games where they've dropped points this season, they've, they've been level come the hour mm. and seventy five minute mark, and I think that suits us more than it suits them. Uh, Rob, what do you think, team wise? I can't see. Let's start with the front three. I can't see past his new best front three of Diaz, uh, Mane in the middle, and Salah. I think in this game in particular, even even if he even if he wasn't as sure as I am that that is his best front three. I think we, we we don't forget, but Pep and Jurgen are students of each other's games. They they under they understand. I think watch and study each other's football obsessively, and I think the opportunity to throw a bit of a curveball or, sh- or present Guardiola with something he's not certain of how it plays out in Diaz. I mean, there is no doubt that Diaz is is a key, is the key selection for me. I also think. Uh, Guardiola has spent a long time studying the Bobby Firmino aspect of Liverpool's game. And I don't think he's had a lot of uh, evidence of how Mane impacts Liverpool through the middle. There is, you can watch the games, but I still think that's that's a, a work in progress as far as Guardiola would be concerned. I think Mane is playing at quite a high level at the moment. I think he's playing at a high level at Firmino and he's giving us a goal threat and I think he's tracking back and I think he's getting us up the pitch by holding the ball up really well. 
I mean, Salah would be the one I might have a think about because I think his form is borderline wretched at the moment, for good reason, potentially, but it is. Uh, having said that, there's a reasonable gap between Tuesday and Sunday. He was taken off early. Of course, he's a man for the big occasion. It's unthinkable that he doesn't stop start this, but he's, he, he would worry me more. But it is going to be uh, Salamani and Diaz. I'd be very, very sure of that. The back five, as everyone said, does pick itself unless there's some sort of niggle, late niggle with one of them. But in midfield, if you ask me to bet my house on it, it's Fabinho, Henderson, Thiago. But Naby Keita gave uh, Jürgen plenty to think about. And people forget there's a really good Naby Keita performance sort of buried away in his cannon, which is a, is a you know, a mercurial cannon at, at best. And that's in the charity shield or the community shield we play against City, where we eventually lose on penalties at the beginning of the 1920 season. Naby's brought on at half time to change things, and he's absolutely fantastic against uh, Guardiola's setup in, the, in that game. He's hugely responsible, in my opinion, for actually turning that game in, in, our, in our direction. So, again, with, with Klopp's you know, aim to, to disrupt, uh, to, to confuse Guardiola, and to do something he doesn't expect. Nobody should be surprised if Nambi Kaita starts, but I wouldn't bet on it. Okay. Uh, you can download the Anfield Wraps app if you want all the best build-up and all the best in the aftermath of what is an enormous game of football on Sunday, half past four uh, in the Etihad. It will be the absolute business. And then everything else that follows, obviously Liverpool close to a Champions League semi-final, which may be against Villarreal or maybe against Bayern Munich. You didn't see that coming. Uh, Real Madrid moving forward to probably face Manchester City, but you never know about Atletico. The season is coming to the boil, an FA Cup semi-final in there as well. Download the app, use the tokens, enjoy everything that there is. There is so much of it in there at the moment at this time of the season. Uh, you taking a draw, Lizzie? No. No? No. Okay. Uh, Gareth, you taking a draw? No, absolutely not. And I don't, I don't see how the conversation behind the scenes has anything to do with taking a draw. I think going back to what we talked about before, about the idea that at City have blown this lead um, and therefore, you know, the sell, I think, almost to, to Liverpool's players is you've done fantastic to get here. So let's let's go out there. This is cup final esque. Let's go let's go and overthrow them on their own turf and, and disappear in the sunset with the points no matter what. I, I think they've been saving themselves for this. And mm. I, I, I think they go there and try and win. And I think I, I think we see balls out all the way through from Liverpool. I think it's as much as uh, them dropping points as it is us gaining as well. I just think you I don't know, yeah, I just can't see a draw being hugely beneficial. Uh you taking a draw up? If you'd asked me yesterday, maybe even before the show starts, there's a part of me that would, because I felt the momentum is with us. It would leave us un, undamaged, our, our undefeated run still going, and, and the momentum was with us, and we would we would do it. But no, I think we I think we have to win, and we will we will see that because I think the, the only reason you take a draw is because you want the fun to last. Do you know what I mean? If you take a draw, it's still only one point in it, and the title race goes on. But if you gamble, you may you may go four points behind and feel it's over. But I think if we finish Sunday evening two points ahead of them, we'll believe it's we will believe it's our league to lose. It will be. Uh, that is the point. Though, so that, that yeah, it will be our league to lose. Uh, if no, we... I, I mean in every sense we'll believe that. Not just uh, oh yeah, we got a bit of a lead, but yeah, every sense. Every sense indeed. Thank you very much to Gareth, to Lizzie and to Rob uh, for our inserts in there. Thank you very much to Chris McIntosh and to Michael McCambridge, uh, John Gibbons as well. Uh, Andy Heaton for producing. It's been so live on this Thursday leading up to an enormous weekend, an absolutely enormous weekend. Can Liverpool do the business at the Etihad? Half past four Sunday. 